Welcome to ACR Moonshot, the Advanced Cardiac Resuscitation Podcast, where we embrace a bold change in the way that we plan for and respond to sudden cardiac arrest in the pursuit of saving more lives. And now your host, Joe Powell and Billy Croft. All right, we're back. The ACR Moonshot Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Croft, minus my my co-host, Joe Powell, who is unfortunately not feeling too well, and he's back in Rialto. We're on Denver, Colorado at the Zoll Summit. Uh, amazing, amazing conference. Uh, this is our second year in a row being here as the ACR uh, advisory board out here uh, teaching all about, you know, survivability from cardiac arrest, uh, neurologically su- survivability, I should say. And uh, there's so many parts of that, so many parts of that. And uh, my co-host today is um, the very beautiful, the very talented <laughs> Captain Josh Smith from Richland Fire. Hey, Josh, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going? Uh, glad to be here, Billy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're, you're going to speak today, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, here in actually about uh, half an hour. Yeah, we did a, a podcast uh, a while back about optimizing the community with you, and that's what you're going to talk about. Yeah, uh, 45 minutes of optimizing the community and bringing it uh, all full circle, right? Oh, yeah, no doubt. There, there's so many parts of this, you know, for um, to have a positive outcome. And um, today is is no different. We're, we're going to have a great conversation with a telecommunicator, and the importance of that role, you know, they're, they are the first contact and they play such an important role in the outcome of these patients. And, and I, I'm really, really excited. Why don't you, inter- you, you know, better than I do. So why yeah. don't you introduce her? Yeah, I think I know her. <laughs> I see her around every once in a while. So, uh, Esther click is a, uh, EMS, uh, dispatch supervisor, not EMS dispatch supervisor, but dispatch supervisor in yes. our local, um, CECOM, Southeast Communications, uh, which is a dispatch center that dispatches uh, not only for the city of Richland, uh, but our entire uh, county and then a couple of neighboring counties as well. So um, the unique relationship that we have is when we first started Heart Safe Communities in the city of Richland, uh, through that algorithm of kind of a systematic approach to cardiac arrest survival, it encourages us to build that relationship with our dispatchers to ensure TCPRs going on, uh, but more importantly, just to have them as part of our team, right? And if you're like the city of Richland and Richland Fire and EMS, you probably assume you have a lot of good going on there, just like we did, but we really didn't know, one, how phenomenal Esther and her team are, but really just how much we need to build that relationship. Uh, And so Esther, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And uh, we really look forward to you telling us exactly the things that uh, I think sometimes we assume, uh, but how those really are. Right? Absolutely. I, I got to say, I, I love your name. You have the perfect dispatcher name, <laughs> Esther Click. Click. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, thank awesome. you. <laughs> and thank you for the introduction. I didn't get the beautiful part like you did, but it's Oh, okay. you're, you're gorgeous. <laughs> you're gorgeous. Um, no, yes. I, you know, I'm very privileged to be here. I think when we started... Um, working together with a, you know, Richland Fire Department, it was very interesting how we developed this connectivity and this relationship. But I have to tell you that um, in my, I've been doing this for 17 years um, in the 911 industry, and I've done everything from floor call taking, floor dispatching, um, to now been supervising for a while. So I, I know of 
everything that we have to deal with on the side of the phone where we take those phone calls. And then now I've learned everything that goes outside of our realm where we don't get that full circle story. So the number one thing that I find with our dispatchers where we have struggled for many years is providing that feedback and that full circle story. Um, Paramedics are able to sometimes get some sort of closure to calls. We don't get that. Um, On an average day, if I'm working the floor, I can take up to 200 calls in a day in a 12-hour period. Wow. And if you can think about a human being answering 200 calls average in 12 hours, and the emotions that go along with that and the various calls that we have to take and deal with um, so many of them are cardiac arrest so many of them are medical so many are domestic and so many of them are you know other miscellaneous ones but the physical impacts that has on our dispatchers and our us is so you know sometimes undervalued and for me, when I started working with the Bridgestone Fire Department, one of the biggest things that I've enjoyed is being able to um, reach out to them and get closure from my dispatchers. I, we've had many, many calls with littles, which for the majority of the time are the ones that are going to be a little bit more impactful on our dispatchers. And so if I am able to reach out to Josh and Josh can reach out to somebody else who can give me some closure for my dispatchers, I can call them that night or that morning, depending on the shift that it is, and be able to give them a little bit of peace of mind and just check in on them. Did you eat dinner? Did you get some rest? Are you able to get some rest? Can you get some rest? Because I need my dispatchers to be physically and emotionally ready for the next shift of 200 plus calls, if that's what they're doing. I want to work for you. (laughs) (laughs) That's the type of leader that, that's amazing. I love that, your compassion, your empathy for the people that you lead. Um, uh, we need more of that, Josh. We do. We, we do. We need more of that for sure. You can see why we brought her here, why we uh, we promote Esther and all that she <laughs> believes and does, because yeah. it's about building that relationship. Yes, absolutely. And before, we assumed we had great dispatchers mm-hmm. like Esther. Well, yeah. And we do. But it's more than just that assumption. It's that relationship because now I know who she is as a person. Now I know how much other people need to know Esther and people like her because uh, it's that compassion, that empathy, that passion that you have that really opens up doors, just like you, Billy, uh, to uh, push farther than what the industry currently, I think, uh, thinks we need to push. We need to push through doors that aren't open, and that's through relationships. Yeah, unfortunately, you know... um, you know, the dispatchers are in the background, you know, yeah. and that bothers me so mm-hmm. much. Be, and, I, and I've thought about this a lot. I'm like, I wonder what they're going through. Um, they, they, they don't get to, they don't see what we see, mm-hmm. but they're hearing. And I know the imagination can, I mean, just run the gamut, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then you, you, you put on top of that, you don't know what happened to that yeah. patient after you take that call. Um, we tend to forget that about that as as EMS and fire personnel, you know, we're like in this silo and we're like, we're the only ones that are affected. We, you know, <laughs> wait a minute, time out, time out. Yeah. Um, you know, there's more people a part of this. And, uh, you know, we talked earlier, it was so important for us in Naperville to, when we celebrated our success, was to bring the dispatchers in because they're such an important part of the success of that call. Absolutely. You know, doing doing mm-hmm. the CPR, telephone CPR, and getting us out the door in, mm-hmm. a, in a timely fashion and, and all those things. Um, 
it was important for them to be involved. And I get choked up. I got choked up at every, every, um, survivor banquet that we do. And when we recognize our dispatchers, because they don't get the recognition that they deserve. No, but very, very few times. Um, and I think one of the things that, that people forget is that we're there, you know, and as I've become a supervisor and I've had opportunities and had the privilege to be at different platforms, the number one thing I think, whether it's law enforcement or fire or EMS side, I said, you realize that you would go nowhere. You would go nowhere without a dispatcher. <laughs> I'm this just is saying. True. This is I'm true. I'm just saying. <laughs> I love it. I love so it. So that's kind of, you know, I try to champion for our dispatchers at every platform, state level, local level, my own agency, because it is so critical that we take care of them so that they can perform at the highest level every single time for our citizens in order to have a good outcome. It's just, it, it is immensely important for us to see that value and any time that I have this type of opportunity for me to champion for them, and I hope that, you know, next year I continue to be able to work with you guys and continue to voice the importance of the person who's taking that phone call and how they're going to manage and process that phone call is going to make as much of an impact as those paramedics that are going to put those hands on those chests when they get there. Mm. Amen. It's awesome. So... You know, we're here talking about cardiac resuscitation. That's kind of the mm -hmm. core mission of ACR. Yep. And, you know, Dr. Antebi, who you guys were able to catch him on a podcast earlier. That'll yes. be coming out soon. Yeah. Um, and we listened to him keynote today. One of the, the best things I heard him say, because I'm really all about the community approach, is without TCBR, really nothing else matters. Nope. And I paraphrase that, obviously. But he put a huge emphasis on TCPR. So... Let's just start walking through that process, right? Yeah. You know, one of the things that we've learned through HeartSafe Richland, listening to tapes that you've provided mm -hmm. us, is that recognition barrier and the emotional barrier yeah. that our bystanders have. Yeah. In addition, our dispatchers also can sometimes have that barrier to yeah. recognizing cardiac arrest. Yeah. So talk to us about just how the dispatchers go about recognizing, right? We go by the no, no, go mm -hmm. principle. Absolutely. So explain that, explain how you train your dispatchers yes. to recognize mm -hmm. um, cardiac arrest. So the program that we use in our center is called, it's the King County EMD program. Um, and we've used that for several years. I took it over many years ago. Um, and one of the first things that I took upon myself is I wanted to be a little bit more aggressive with our recognition. And so one of the things that I train and teach our dispatchers is, you know, unconscious, not breathing, we're not going to waste any more time. If they cannot clearly tell you that somebody is conscious or that somebody is breathing normally, if they cannot seriously say that 100%, we're doing compressions. We're going to start compressions. The reason behind that is I will rather you do compressions on somebody that doesn't need it so many more times than me sit on a phone call and have to listen for five minutes and wait for that recognition and wait for that recognition when I know that we should have recognized it a long time ago. Now, there's so many variables that add into, you know, everything else is the understaffing at most PSAP centers. There's that component. The majority of our dispatchers that are doing CPR on the phone are also dispatching on the radio at the same time. So we have that component. The next thing is gonna be the um, emotional impacts of the callers. Most of the times that you get those phone calls, it's gonna be families. 
there's a denial part of it. And, um, you know, and, and I've had to go through that part of it, that side of the phone call. And when I present later on today, I'll be touching a little bit on that and how that's impacted me. But being able to um, push past the emotions and really take control of that phone call. As a you know, telecommunicator, I tell my dispatchers, it is your job to be the professional to control that phone call and be able to mitigate their mind in order to be able to do those compressions and guide them to that process. It is not their job as a citizen to know any better. It's not their job to talk to you appropriately. It's not their job to not yell at you hysterically. That is them. That's, their, that's them being human and being in that moment. It is your job to do everything else and be there for them presently, be there professionally, and be able to really, really push for those chest on compressions. And if you can get past that barrier, that takes up a lot of our phone calls. The next thing is going to be language barrier. Mm. There's yeah. a lot of that, you know. Um, well, and I'll talk about that on my presentation as well. So there's, you know, there's language barrier, and there's so, only so much you can do with that. Um, but I think really, when you're hiring um, people for your dispatch center, I think we, you know, everybody's all about inclusiveness now and being able to have a diverse culture and remembering that there's lots of languages out there and understanding who your community members are and what that demographic is and being able to maybe look at that a little bit differently when you're hiring as well. Wow. You know, she talked about being aggressive and how they dispatch right. uh, and encourage folks mm -hmm. to do hands-on CPR. And I want to highlight really the work that you've done and how well it's paid off because, you know, just a couple of years ago, and, and really the data is consistent every year, but we polled how many MedFors, which are cardiac arrests in the city of Richland, we were dispatched to, and that was 264 out of hospital cardiac arrests that our folks were dispatched to. 61 of those were cardiac arrest calls that we worked. So our dispatch center is aggressive, mm -hmm. but appropriately aggressive. I was telling Esther, if we ever hit a mark where we're only dispatched to, you know, let's say 85 cardiac arrests and we work 70 of those or 60 of those, I think that's a huge red flag because we need to encourage our bystanders to push hard and fast in the center of that chest. And as a paramedic that works in that system, I can't recall any of those metaphors that I've been dispatched to that ended up not being cardiac arrest where those patients were negatively affected, right? Mm -hmm. So they're being proactive. And I think that's really important for our, our, our PSAPs to understand yeah. and, and really embrace. And encourage that and allow, allow the dispatchers the latitude um, to be able to do that. So when I teach, you know, when I, I do trainings and I pull quarterly calls, what I'm trying to do when I do that and give feedback on a quarterly basis is give them the confidence, number one confidence, to be able to perform themselves and be able to take the latitude to, to make decisions on the fly and be able to do that quickly and in order to deliver good CPR all the time. I've got a question for you on that. So, uh, you know, as I think about various dispatch centers and, and having been a part of this process for a few years and networking with various states and agencies, do you think that there's a hesitancy on some call takers and dispatchers to be aggressive Absolutely. because of maybe the liability that yep. they feel that, yep. that they're going to be reprimanded yep. or, or held liable for maybe hurting a patient? Yep. 
Absolutely. So was that a barrier that you had to overcome at CECOM or, or how was that accepted little, when you introduced it? Um, yes, there was a little bit of a barrier there. And so I had to very tactfully mm -hmm. um, approach it from with my management um, and then with our dispatchers. We just have to be very tactful and really encourage them. It's building that inner confidence. You know, you can be an amazing dispatcher if you just, you know, if you build that confidence and you are able to have that voice. Um, it's, you know, the, our biggest toolbox or our biggest tool in our toolbox is our voice, how we control it, how we manage it, how forceful we are with it, you know, how excited we get with it. Um, it's, it's something that you, you learn to, um, to manipulate to your benefit. Um, but being able to give, you know, have the latitude to be able to do that freely is something that most centers, um, I feel, sometimes lack. And being able to give my dispatchers that was was a process, but I think, you know, I was able to do that. And, and it's a continuing process because they sometimes they'll hesitate and they, you know, fall back a little bit. But like with most things, quarterly. Quarterly is, is a really good time frame to, to be touch base with everybody again. This is what we're doing. These are our trends. This is what I'd like to see. This is what we stand for. And this is what we're going to do. Excellent. Yeah. And um, you were talking about um, the no, no go. Yes. All, all that stuff. Um, I know not everybody does that, right? They follow a, mm -hmm. a script and it, and it takes time yeah. to get through that. And they're encouraged to go through that because there's, you know, financial, yeah, you know, things tied to that, yeah. correct? So how, how did you change all that? So No No Go was present um, with the King County program, and that was there before me. Um, it, it was how it was actually used or not used. That was a little bit differently when I took it over. I just took it to a little bit different level. Um, I, once again, like I said, I became a little bit more aggressive, more on point, more let's do this. You know, we, we, we're going to say if no, then we move on. No, then we move on. Then we're, we're on it. We're starting compressions. You know, if we can start compressions within 20 seconds from the pickup of the phone line, I'm happy. I can do it within 15. I've, I've seen call takers do it in 15 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if you, how, how do people change to that? You know, how do you make that change? Because there's, there's a, you got a license, right, to be mm -hmm. EMD, and, mm -hmm. and they have, you have policies to yep. follow. So how do you change that? So I think um, there's several components of it. It comes from, like most things, it's from the top down. Mm -hmm. um, it has to be a mentality. It has to be a culture, and it, there has to be a vision. So my vision when, when I took over the program was the more saves that we can have, the better. Um, and so that was a big motivator for me. And when I talk to people, I, you know, I tell them my story and I tell them the reasoning behind it and I tell them why I'm so passionate about it. And I get a little bit more buy-in sometimes that way. Um, being, having had performed CPR myself on my late husband, um, you know, I've, I've been a promoter of this, and, and that was before I even, that happened after I took over the program. So I was passionate about this before then. But after that moment, it really opened my eyes a little bit better. Um, but it, it's really a culture and a vision change. Do you see your center being a lifesaver? And that's what it comes down to. Mm. 
no, not everybody has our passion, right? No. You know, <laughs> and, and it takes everybody in this village, in this yeah. system mm -hmm. to save a life. Um, how have you uh, overcome mm -hmm. maybe some of the dispatchers that say, you know what, Esther, we believe in you. We, we believe what you're saying, but maybe just aren't as passionate mm -hmm. about the quarterly training, the mm -hmm. QAQI. Mm -hmm. And how do you keep those folks motivated and or at least, you know, performing to the level that you expect out of them? Because um, that can be difficult in it, every realm. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, it really comes down to drawing the line. Who are we and who? what do we stand for? And what are our expectations? And so then that's where I put my leader hat, supervisor hat, what, you know, whatever you want to call it, yeah. um, where it, it changes um, my approach sometimes a little bit, but I'm still trying to empathize with them and see where they're coming from. And why aren't you? Why don't you want to do this? And I think naturally, 99% of dispatchers want to do good every single time. We don't, you know, we don't come to work wanting to fail at a processing a call. That's not who we are. We want to do good, and we, we take every call seriously. However, time provides complacency. And so when you don't have those quarterly reviews, the longer you push out, the longer you allow for that complacency to fall, out, fall into place. And the longer you allow that to fall into place, the longer it's going to take for you to recover just like chest compressions. You lose that momentum, you lose that pressure, it's gonna take you longer to, to, to do that. But if you can pull those aside, um, showing them, I think a lot of the times, allowing them to listen to phone calls, especially their own phone calls, especially when they do amazing, that's, that's really makes a difference. Yeah, reinforcing the good, yep. right? And then mm -hmm. supporting them when yep. maybe they have a bad day yep. or a bad call, right? Absolutely. And that's really what I think maybe we lack Sometimes I think across the board, but especially in the fire service, mm -hmm. you know, I love how you, you let them listen to their tapes, right? Mm -hmm. Listen to other tapes. You know, I can't, I can't imagine, you know, just the amount of growth that I know I've had when I listen back to maybe fires that I've <laughs> been the first in on, right? I go, okay, that went great, great. you know, or that didn't mm -hmm. go so yep. great, right? Yep. But it's that reflection yep. that I think equals you know, that perfection, yeah. that where we want to go, right? Absolutely. And it takes visionary leaders like yourself to do that. So, when I, you know, one of the things with that, that I tell my dispatchers when I talk to them and when we're having these personal conversations of our performance is I'm human, you're human. We're going to make mistakes. And I think allowing them to understand that and really appreciate that at a different level will allow them to be a little bit more comfortable when you have those difficult conversations. Yeah, you know, earlier you had mentioned uh, some things that you'd like to see mm -hmm. uh, available to mm -hmm. your dispatchers, and yep. one of the most one of those tools was a metronome yep. uh, to assist in the coaching of that bystander. So, you know, talk to us about the metronome and the and the benefit of that, but also what are maybe other tools out there that you can see the PSAP industry maybe benefiting from if they if they kind of go after those. Um, well, the, you know, the metronome, I think one of the things that would help with that or would that would help us with is the rhythm. We're great. We're aggressive. We're on it. We're doing compressions. The rhythm is what we lack. And a lot of the times callers aren't counting with us, so we don't know where they're at. Sometimes the caller is not the one doing the compression, so we have a hard time, very, you know, measuring that. Um, so a metronome would help the dispatcher stay on rhythm, count 
on rhythm and encourage the person on the other side of the phone to stay on that rhythm. They follow along. Um, there's so many other tools out there that, you know, dispatchers can use. The, but the, the issue with that is you don't want to overwhelm a dispatcher. We already have so many screens. We already have so many things going on at the same time. Um, and, yeah, we're amazing at multitasking, but one more item sometimes can be the detriment of other issues. So. I think that's what one of the things, the very important things I've learned in working with you and the dispatch system is, is how important it is and really how much we have failed in the past of, hey, we've made a decision. We want to do this. And, oh, wait, our dispatchers need to know where those AEDs are mm -hmm. or do they have yeah. the software to even utilize, mm -hmm. you know, the, the app or whatever we're bringing in. Yeah. And so I know uh, for the past couple of years, in every conversation we've had since we've built that relationship much more firmly with Seacom, yeah. is, hey, before we do something that's going to provide a service to our community, let's make sure we have a liaison from the dispatch center so they can advise us yeah. and say, hey, this is how best we can work that in with our call takers. Yeah. And I know I mean, just a few years ago, I, I don't think that was happening as often. And so I look forward to doing that. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, uh, we had, um, some uh, similar issue like with knowing where AEDs were. We had a cardiac arrest in, in, a, in a supermarket and the dispatcher was unable to give the information to the bystanders that called. I mean, the, the AED was 10 feet away and no one knew where it was, right? So we, uh, thank goodness for our leadership because we all got together and said, okay, what, what's the problem? And it was our dispatch software. We're changing our dispatch software. And we're implementing all of the locations of the AED. So it's right there on one screen. Wow. They don't have to pull up like pulse mm -hmm. point or anything like that to say, okay, where is it? You know, because I know you guys are great multitaskers, but come on. I mean, yeah. uh, if we can take some things off your plate, that would be amazing. amazing. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're. it's a lot of data entry stuff, but in the end, it's going to be worth it, yep. you know, for, for our dispatchers. Um, and we, we talk about other tools. I'm interested. How do you, how do you train your dispatchers? Um, you kind of talked about it, uh, you know, using your voice, mm -hmm. you know, um, being that calm in the chaos. Yep. Um, how do you, how do you, how do you guys combat that, that emotional toll on yourselves? And then, how do you push past that to actually get your job done? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I know I put you on the spot yeah, there. Yeah, you did. Um, so the emotional toll is something that um, you learn to deal with um, with time. Sure. Um, but there's always going to be calls that you're going to have to um, pull yourself aside afterwards and, and process that as a supervisor. Um, I think, and as a leaders, we, it is our job to keep an eye on dis our dispatchers, our call takers. And when we see something affect them, we need to be able to address that. Mm. Um, mental health is something that is, that is real. And I think the more we recognize it and the more we address it, the better. And if we can give them the tools or the resources in order to handle that a little bit better, um, then that'll help them in the long run. I think everybody reacts differently to different calls and being able to have resources to address how you emotionally react to those calls um, makes you a better call taker, better dispatcher, better human being. Yeah. 
That's that's amazing. I know um, we have resources. I'm, I'm sure you do too, Josh. Um, you know, we have uh, peer support and, you know, clergy. Um, we have the EAP, all those things. Do you have similar things like that? Um, we do and we don't. We okay. have, um, I would say, a little bit smaller realm of resources, but we have resources. Um, our biggest resources at the end of the day is going to be peers. Yeah. And being able to train our peers, we sent um, some of them to critical incident stress management training. And so they're able to help their peers during different types of calls. Um, I've gone through that training as a supervisor, and I've used it multiple times over and over again after difficult situations. When I see something affect some, you know, somebody in particular a certain way, and but you have to be uh, realistic that not everybody's going to react the same way, and so somebody may not seem like they're having a hard time with the call, but they are. Yeah. And being able to see through that, as a supervisor, it is, and as a leader, it's our job to know our people um, very, very well to the point where even though they don't say, "I need help." you should be able to recognize that they need help. You know what I think really helps is being involved in, I'm sure you guys do this, but you invite them to your celebrations of success, don't you? We do, yeah. And it's been <laughs> kind of up and down, yes. uh, you know, but yes, it's, it's, a, it's a completely open invitation, right? And quite honestly, the future is super bright, yeah. right? And just like anything, um, you know, those relationships that you build, some grow very quickly, yep. some are a little bit slower and not really for the wrong reasons, I would say, but just, you know, there's just some things that, um, you know, some relationships have more barriers Yeah, and, and, time. Uh, and time, time. Yeah. yeah. Some, some just take more time. I think if, if it were up to me, I would send every single dispatcher to those yeah. celebrations. That would be my dream come true. And I, I'm, I've, told you that many many times yeah. i wish i could send every single dispatcher because it is so incredible for them i think to be able to recognize that in themselves and see that the community truly benefits from this you know we play such a big role and such a big impact on people's lives that goes unnoticed that um, i wish i could just open their eyes sometimes a little bit more because I see it, and I see the impact that they make on people's lives. And I tell people sometimes, when you save a life, you're sending somebody home to their kids. You're sending somebody home to the community. Mm. You're sending somebody home to their friends. You're, you're not just saving one person. You're saving a whole community. Yeah. And that's what we're all about. Yeah. Well, I, I could tell you this. I see you. <laughs> I see you. And I know Josh sees you. And you know, the people that... Are, are passionate about, you know, cardiac arrest and, and all these things. They see you and they see the importance of what you do. And um, I'm just so thankful for you. And I can't wait to hear your your, your lecture today. I've um, been looking forward to this, um, <laughs> you know, all day. And, um, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. You're, you're a wonderful leader and you're, you're just your, your compassion and your empathy just – it just oozes out of you and it's contagious. Thank I, you. I, I can tell you it's inspiring Thank you. for me. So Thank you. anything you want to add there, Josh? No, I would just encourage every listener today, you know, uh, whether you're fire-based EMS, EMS, or what have you, connect with your dispatch system, right? Yeah. Yes. And make that sit down conversation relationship connection, right? Absolutely. Don't just reach out and be a, be a phone or email and say, hey, we need you to do this. No, 
come in and don't tell them what you need them to do, but say, hey, we have this mission. It's to protect and enhance the quality of life. We have this initiative, right? We want you to be a part of it because we know you add value to it, right? How can we be successful together? Mm-hmm. And I mean, the opportunities are endless. Absolutely, so, yeah. absolutely. And you know, and, and until I don't have any breath, you know, on me, I, I, this is one of those things that I'm so passionate about that I will continue to champion everywhere I go. Amen. So you guys heard it. Esther's open for <laughs> contracts <laughs> yes. and speaking engagements. Oh yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Esther, for sitting down with us and, and just helping, you know, um, helping survivability of cardiac arrest patients. So uh, you're much appreciated. Uh, much love to Josh and, and to you. And uh, thank you. Um, we'll be seeing you next time. Yeah. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks, Billy. This podcast and its postings are for general informational purposes only and do not constitute the practice of medicine, medical direction, medical oversight, or medical advice. No doctor-patient or doctor-healthcare provider relationship is formed. This podcast and advanced cardiac resuscitation are not a substitute for any local, state, or federal policies, protocols, or treatment guidelines. The views and opinions of the hosts and the guests of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the view or policy of advanced cardiac resuscitation, its officers, members, or member agencies. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by advanced cardiac resuscitation. Thank you for listening to ACR Moonshot, the Advanced Cardiac Resuscitation Podcast.